0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, this morning we are looking at the story of Gideon. Um, the, the verse that I want to start with is from Hebrews 11, starting at 32. It says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies women received back their dead, raised to life again Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Now that passage doesn't tell us an awful lot about Gideon. Other than that he was a man of faith and so what I'm going to do is actually refer more to the story of Gideon which if you want to find it either now or later is in the book of Judges in chapters 6 and 7 and I love the story of Gideon because he's actually what you might call one of the unlikely heroes of the Old Testament and I love the, that phrase in Hebrews, that he conquered kingdoms. And we're going to look a bit at that in a minute. But at the start of the story of Gideon, he doesn't really look like a hero or even a man of faith. So I'm going to start by just giving you a very quick summary of his story. And Gideon, that um, this the story of Gideon takes place during a period in which once again the Israelites were being disobedient to God, okay? Judges uh, chapter six, verse one says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. What that's saying is that the Israelites had actually brought devastation upon themselves, They'd turned away from the Lord, they'd started worshipping idols, they were worshipping Baal, and they'd become completely idolatrous. So they weren't being faithful to the Lord at all. And as it says, that at this point, the enemy, their enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites, had been persecuting them for seven solid years. For seven consecutive years, they'd come, they'd raided the land, they'd destroyed their crops and their livestock, And actually, they'd left the Israelite people completely destitute, completely starving, with literally nothing. And the Bible does make it clear that this oppression is as a direct result of their rebellion against God. And it's, it's only at the point at which they're completely overwhelmed, and they're hiding themselves away in fear. That's what Judges tells us, that they finally turn back to the Lord and ask for his help. And this is the amazing thing, you know, in spite of them taking God for granted year after year after year, God never fails to open his arms of love when they turn back. So they repent, and God is eternally faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham to protect and to bless his offspring for generations to come. So as soon as the Israelites cry out to God, he responds and he chooses to use Gideon. This is where Gideon comes in. God chooses to use the man Gideon to bring about his purposes. And as you read through chapters 6 and 7 and 8 of the book of Judges, you, you will see that ultimately Israel's enemies are defeated and the Israelites enjoy victory. But let's look in, in more detail at Gideon's role in all of this. Judges 6, verse 8, so that the Israelites have turned back to God, and Judges 6, verse 8 says, God sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me so at this point rather than assuring the Israelites of his deliverance he's actually getting them to look back he's getting them to kind of see what they've done if you like he shows them their disobedience and rebellion and that's the first thing I want to say is that when we're facing tough circumstances ourselves sometimes we might need to be willing to look back We might need to be willing to look at what God shows us, even when it's uncomfortable. And regardless of who he speaks to, it's interesting that this particular prophet that comes to the Israelites isn't even named in the Bible. And then verse 11 of chapter 6 in Judges is really the turning point of the story the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay, that's not normal. (laughs) He's doing it because he's afraid. He's afraid that if he does it out in the open, the Midianite is going to come and steal from him again. So he's hiding away. He's probably starving. He's very scared. And actually, if you thresh grain in a wine press, the wheat doesn't separate from the chaff. He's actually making it an extremely difficult job. And there's such a contrast in this interaction between Gideon and the Lord. Because it it, it becomes apparent that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. It's a manifestation of the Lord. And he says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, you might think that that's quite an encouraging statement. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. He's giving Gideon this command and, and says, the Lord is with you. That's quite a calling. But if we look at how Gideon responds, he doesn't say, yes, Lord. What does he say? He says, how can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. It's not exactly a statement of faith, is it? It's, a, it's more a statement of hopelessness and fear. And it comes out of his unbelief and this abject feeling of insignificance and inadequacy but this is why this is why I love the fact that Gideon is a hero of faith because he's being real and I also love the fact that what he says doesn't change God's mind God doesn't go oh okay then I'll find someone else not even for a millisecond does it change God's mind because God never negotiates with our hopelessness ever and the reason he doesn't do that is because if we are operating in our hopelessness, our plans will always be inferior to God's. Always. And God will always call us over and above our situation and call us up and out of that hopelessness that we choose to live in, no matter what. And actually, what Gideon says about himself isn't even true. I've, I read that that biblical scholars believe that Gideon was actually from a very well-to-do family. He wasn't, I am the least, and I'm from a, a nothing family. The problem, Gideon's problem is in here, like, like most of us, like me. More often than not, the problems are in what I'm believing. They're in my mind. They're not in reality. And how often does what we believe differ from God's truth? Okay, for me, I would say honestly, quite a lot. God, God has given us everything we need to live like Jesus right now, right here, right now, free from fear. And we are all mighty warriors. It's not just Gideon; we are all mighty warriors in the kingdom, because we've all been raised with Christ. We've all been given authority over the works of the enemy, over all the works of the enemy, every single one of us. Where's the problem? It's here, because we don't believe it, just like Gideon. And yet God still chooses Gideon. And the key, I think, in all of this, in a way, the key statement in this whole story is God, God's words to Gideon. The Lord is with you. That's what makes the difference. Because that's true for you and me as well. The Lord is with us. And it's that truth that enables all of us to be who we've been designed to be. Because the Lord is with us. Because it's not down to us. It's not down to us. If it was, we'd be scuppered. But it's not. It's God and he is with us. Imagine that, that, well, it might not be an awful scenario for you. This was an awful scenario for me. At school, where the PE teacher picks the two best sports players and then they pick their teams from the rest of the class. <laughs> that was awful for me because I was always the last to be picked. Okay? It's that moment where you just want the ground to swallow you up. And yet, although in, the, in worldly terms, people pick the best people... Here is God picking the person who doesn't know or even want to to join in. And I love that. I love that. It's so, our natural, natural realm, worldly thinking, is so different to the way God operates. So, so different. Because God sees who Gideon really is, not who he's believing he is. That's the difference between the original design, the way God has made us, and how we perceive ourselves. It's a powerful, powerful difference. But even once he's been picked, if you like, Gideon continues to question God. And I think it's quite interesting that at least he's being real. He's, he's not afraid to, to kind of ask the questions. He's not afraid to express his doubt. I think some of us get so concerned to kind of act like the good Christians we feel we should be that we forget to be real. And sometimes we forget to be real with God as well. We might kind of whisper to our best mate about how awful we're feeling and how terrible life is. We might kind of admit to ourselves that we're feeling angry with God. But we, see, we, we feel so guilty about not feeling up to it. We feel so guilty about wallowing in our insignificance or self-pity or whatever it is that we hide our real emotions and we hide them from God as well. But God is so much more able to handle our wayward emotions than anybody else. And I think there's a lesson in this about being real with God too. Because if we're real with God, he can work with that. He can talk to us. He can engage with us. We can hear him. But we have to be real and share with him what we're feeling. It's okay to say, Lord, I couldn't see you in that situation. And actually allow him to show us where he was. It's so, so much better to do that than to turn away from him in our anger and disappointment. And and like Gideon, we need to be real at every point. Because if we ask God to show up, do you know what? He will. He always, always will, every time. He will show us that he's been with us all along. And we need to keep talking to God even in our worst moments and ask him the hard questions. Because he will show us what to do just like he showed Gideon. And so in spite of our misgivings, in spite of Gideon's misgivings, being faithful and being obedient is the best option. You know, in in worldly terms, being obedient to God, you could argue that it could have cost him his life. Because what God was asking him to do was huge and scary. But actually, in his obedience and in his eventual stepping out... He was instrumental in saving a whole nation. And that's extraordinary. That's what it said in Hebrews 11. He was a man who conquered kingdoms. And it's true. So when God calls us, whatever he's asking us to do right now, whatever he's asking you to do tomorrow, we need to do it, not procrastinate. Not put it off until next week or next month until we feel ready. Because you know what? We'll never feel ready. A definition of obedience is that it's immediate. If it's not immediate, it's actually disobedience. And we forget that. We make excuses to ourselves. Because like Gideon, you and I are also designed to set people free. We don't think of ourselves like that, but we are. And so we're not unlike Gideon. At all. And for every one of us, the thing that God is calling us to do, do you know what he's saying to us? He's saying to you and to me, you're perfect for the job. I've called you. You're perfect to do the thing I've asked you to do. But we find that hard to relate to because in our core, we go, I'm inadequate. It's a lie of the enemy. And that feeling, that lie is not an excuse. It's not an excuse for disobedience. Gideon is a mighty warrior because God is with him. And as people of faith in Jesus for us, we are also mighty in the Lord because God is with us. We are exactly who he says we are because it's God himself who's designed us and equipped us. And God will always be gracious to us, just like he is with Gideon. You know, even after this dialogue with the Lord, Gideon continues to ask God for a sign that it's really him. And the first thing God does, verse 21 of chapter 6, he calls fire up out of a rock. <laughs> That's quite a sign, calling fire up out of a rock. And Gideon sees beyond doubt that it's God that he's talking to and the first thing that God asks him to do is to go and tear down the altar that his father has erected to Baal and he does but you know what he's still scared you can see he's scared because he takes 10 more people with him and he does it in the middle of the night that's the action of a man who's still a little bit frightened but he's obedient and it goes well But even after this, if we go to the end of chapter 6, which is key, Gideon continues to struggle with doubt and fear. And you probably all know the story of the fact that he lays a fleece before the Lord. He wants another sign that it's God. And God responds. And what does he do after that? He lays another fleece. He's struggling to come to terms with his calling and his identity. But he gets there. And God's okay with that. God was okay with him doing that. And I love that. He knows the steps of faith that he asks us to take, maybe way out of our comfort zone sometimes and beyond our understanding. But do you know why he does that? He does that in order to grow us, in order to mature us, just like Gideon. He knows where we're at and he calls us to do these things because he loves us that's his motivation. He's growing us into the people that he's designed us to be. And we need to remember that in those moments that are tough and scary, whatever they are for you. And so let's look at how the story ends for Gideon. So God has told him that he's going to conquer the enemies of Israel. So Gideon gathers an army to come against the Midianites, and If you read chapter 7, you'll see that 32,000 men gather to fight against the Midianite army. 32,000 men sounds like a lot. How many are there in the Midianite army? 135,000. Okay. There are four times as many Midianites as there are in Gideon's army. And what does God do? He says to Gideon, no, your army's still too big. And you're like, what? What? So God whittles it down. He tells Gideon to send home those who are fearful. 22,000 people leave Gideon's army. That leaves 10,000 against an army of 135,000. And then God whittles it down some more. He says, no, your army's still too big. I mean, at this point, Gideon must be kind of going, what on earth is going on? I would be. And so God whittles it down some more until the army consists of 300 men willing to fight an army of 135,000. Doesn't make sense, does it? In worldly terms, it doesn't make sense. But I think we really need to remember this because this, the spiritual realm truths in this story are as true for us today as they were for Gideon back then. Gideon is outnumbered by a ratio of 450 to 1. Okay, Not great odds in worldly terms. But it's a spiritual warfare story. It's a beautiful spiritual warfare story. And now Gideon, well he has to, doesn't he? He has to fully put his trust in God. Because God has promised victory. And actually God speaks to Gideon again through another man's dream. And when Gideon hears that, he's ready, willing, and able. So he, what does he arm his army with? He arms them, not with swords or weapons, he arms them with trumpets and with torches hidden in jars. Again, doesn't compute in worldly terms. So his tiny army of 300 come to the edge of the Midianite camp. If you know this story, then it's great, but I'll tell you what happens. They come to the edge of the Midianite camp, And at the point at which they're commanded, they blow their trumpets. They break these jars to reveal the torches within. And at that point, the Midianite army fall into complete chaos. They turn on each other. They start killing each other. And those who are not dead run away. So Gideon and his army don't even have to fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it's one for Gideon and the Israelites... And for us in the heavenly realms. So be encouraged. Okay. Gideon has gone down in history as a mighty warrior and a man of faith, even with a very shaky start. But his doubt and his fear are not enough to stop him fulfilling God's plans for his life. And that's the same for us you and I will also experience God's strength and power made perfect in our weakness because the Lord is with us. Amen.